Well, from now until Christmas, we are going to look at Luke 1 and 2 and study the different songs that came out of people's mouths in response to the birth of Jesus. And if you look at it, really nowhere else in Scripture in such a small section do we have three rather lengthy songs written in such quick succession by Mary, Zechariah, and Simeon. And I'm calling this mini-series The Songs of Christmas. So we'll look at one today, next Sunday, and then at Christmas Eve. And when you think about it, the birth of Christ inspired more music than any other event in history. From Bach to Handel to Charles Wesley, the Osmonds, Dolly Parton, Justin Bieber. I'm getting feedback up here. Uh, the Chipmunks. I mean, they, everybody sings Christmas songs. And there's something about the birth of Jesus that just cries out for music. So I want you to turn to the person next to you and tell them, what's one of your favorite Christmas songs? Right now, just tell them. What's a favorite song of yours? Okay, now did anyone say, Grandma got run over by a reindeer? Yeah, I knew it. I knew there, there's some of you who are just sick. Okay. Okay, how about this one? We're going to play one. Santa baby, just slip a sable under the tree for me. Okay, that's enough of that. I, it's a terrible song. Really, have you ever listened, have you really listened to the words of that song? It is selfish, it's materialistic, it's about everything that's wrong with the Christmas season, you know. She wants a 54 convertible to light blue, this is written in 53, by the way. I want a yacht that's not a lot, a deed to a platinum mine, my, fill my stockings with a duplex and checks, come and trim my Christmas tree with decorations Tiffany's, cute melody, I like the melody, pathetic message. That's one reason music's so dangerous. I mean, the melody can draw you in, and the message is still, still rotten. So what music are you putting in your head? Because it is very, very powerful. Music conveys something that words and prose cannot. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Luke 1, and, because I'm going to have some of the scriptures up here, but not all of them, so it'll help you and help me. Turn to Luke 1. Luke 1 and 2 is the traditional account of Christmas. And there's a lot of music in here. Zechariah, Mary, Simeon sing songs. The angels sing as well. And they needed to convey their emotions in a, in a way that words just weren't sufficient. So they turned to music. And today's theme is joy, as you know. And when we're filled with joy, music's one of the best ways to convey that joy. Some of you will remember years ago, there was a television show called Name That Tune. And you'd get three or four or five notes in which to name the tune. So I want to have a little fun with that this morning. And we're going to just see how good you are. I don't want you to get too excited. There's not going to be a prize or anything. But I, I want to go way back on this first one. And I want you to name the tune and the artist. Okay? As soon as you know it, raise your hand. And I'll try to see who's the first. And, you know, let's, well, let's do the first one see how this goes. Turn it up, turn it up. We need to hear this one. Turn it up, not off. <laughs> okay, stop. Okay, what was it? Sally? Glenn Miller in the mood. Okay, I get goosebumps listening to that song. You just have to move, the whole body starts just, anyway, powerful. How about this one, next one, louder. Okay. Really got to hear this one. 
Okay, stop. I could listen to this all day. Let's not have a sermon. What was it? I got you, babe. Sunny and Cher. Okay, next one's tough. 14 weeks at number one, though. This next one. Got it. There you go, there you go. <laughs> anyway, okay. What is it? Macarena, back in the nineties, okay. There's something about a song. I could do that all day. There's certain songs that just evoke a time and, and uh, really a, an emotion. There's a certain song by Tony Bennett called Love is Better the Second Time Around. When that gets played, it transports Ellen and I back to her kitchen on Rutchley Drive in Lincoln when we were dating. And I won't say any more about that. <laughs> Those are good days. Behind every song is a story. And that's true in these songs of Christmas and Luke. When you understand the story leading up to the song, the song takes on even more significance. So this morning we're going to look, up, look at what leads up to Zechariah's song and then look at the song very briefly. You might wonder, first of all, who's Zechariah? Uh, some of you. I remember Mary and Joseph and the shepherds and the wise men, but who's the Zechariah guy? Well, he had a, guy named, had, had a guy had a wife named Elizabeth. And how much space is given in Luke 1 is really amazing to the, in this. Zechariah and Elizabeth become the parents of John the Baptist, who becomes the forerunner to Jesus. And John's birth gets more verses than Jesus' birth. That's interesting. Now, John is Jesus' relative, maybe a second cousin, you know. And Zechariah and Elizabeth get a lot of attention in these birth accounts. Why? Well, one possible reason is that some in the early church thought that John was the Messiah and not Jesus. John was this eccentric dude when he, when he becomes an adult. He ate locusts and honey and... Warfur makes me think of Dennis Rodman type of person, you know, a little off, you know, and some people thought he was from God, and if you think Dennis Rodman is from God, you're crazy. But anyway, certainly not normal. So, so Luke wants to show that John the Baptist was indeed part of God's plan. He's special, but he wants to show where John fits into God's plan, and he's the forerunner to the Messiah, not the Messiah himself. The history coming into this song was 400 years of silence. In the Old Testament, Israel's history is filled with communications from God. God spoke to his people. He revealed himself through commandments, miracles, and Moses, the prophets, the kings. But then for 400 years, nothing. Silence. Four hundred years is a long time for silence. How old's our nation? And after four hundred years, I'm sure some people started wondering, has God abandoned us? Have we sinned so much that he's finally given up and thrown in the towel? Perhaps some were losing hope about the redemption of their nation and the promise of a Messiah. And then all of a sudden, in an unexpected way, God's plan begins to break open and unfold with an old priest named Zechariah, a 15-year-old girl named Mary, and two babies in an obscure village. The name Zechariah means the Lord remembers. Even after 400 years, a long time, God doesn't forget. 
After 400 years, God is going to again reveal himself. So Luke 1, verse 5 is where we're going to start. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. Now, Zechariah at this time was one of 18,000 priests living in the nation of Israel. So that's a lot of priests. And because there were so many, they only served in the temple for two weeks out of the year. One week here, one week there. And he was married to a woman who was also from a line of priests from the line of Aaron. And Luke wants to make sure that we know these are good people. They're both righteous, blameless in the sight of God, observing the Lord's commands. Not perfect, but they're good. And they're an old couple, and Elizabeth is unable to have children. Now, in those days, infertility wasn't just an unfortunate circumstance. It really was a reason for questioning the goodness of God in your life. It could be seen by some as God's curse. If you cannot have children, it's because God's punishing you. And Luke intentionally in this passage puts together this bit about them living blamelessly before God and not receiving the blessing of God because some of Zechariah's neighbors would be wondering, how can this be a man of God and not be blessed with children? That doesn't jive. But Luke is showing here, you can be a good person and still experience disappointment and hard times. Going on, verse 8. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God... He was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Zechariah comes for his duties for a week in Jerusalem, and in anticipation of the big service on Saturday in the temple, they draw lots, and one priest is chosen to carry the incense for the prayers of the redemption of Israel and the coming of the Messiah into the Holy of Holies. Only one out of 18,000 is chosen. Zechariah's name is chosen by chance, or was it? And this would be the culmination of his priestly career. He knew there'd be a good chance in his life he would go to the grave and never be able to serve in the Holy of Holies. And he knew for sure it would only happen once if it did happen, because once you served, your name was taken out of the lottery. So it's with great anticipation and great excitement, he goes in to burn the incense and to pray while the whole nation waits outside. Now, Zechariah had never been in the Holy of Holies before, He'd certainly sat and listened to some priests who had been chosen, and they probably told him what to expect, you know, in the Holy of Holies, the furniture and what it looked like and and how to swing the incense burner. And if there was a manual for it, he probably read through the pages and knew what to expect. So when he gets in there, he gets a surprise because there's an angel in there standing at the right side of the altar of incense. None of the priests had told him about this. When he went through the manual and looked up altar of incense, there was nothing about an angel there. In fact, priests in this time of history didn't even believe in angels. They don't exist. So you can imagine the surprise by Zechariah. Verse 12, when Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid. So the angel, he knows this is a little out of the ordinary, and he calms Zechariah down and then says, your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to give him the name John. Now, what prayer is he talking about? Has Zechariah been praying for a child, for his wife Elizabeth? Now, she's 80 years old. I'm thinking maybe he's given up on that prayer. It could be that the prayer he's talking about here is what every Israelite prayed for, for God to finally redeem and save Israel. Whatever, both prayers have been answered. Zechariah, after 400 years of silence, God is once again on the move. Your 80-year-old wife will go into the bathroom with a stick and come out with a plus sign. So John's birth is a miracle, but later we know about Jesus' birth is an even greater miracle, isn't it? John is great, 
but Jesus is greater. John's birth is a miracle. Jesus is a greater miracle. Gabriel goes on. He will be a joy and a delight to you. Well, duh. My son Josh and his wife Krista were once told that Caden, their two-year-old, would not make it, uh, would not survive pregnancy. Well, obviously he did. And I'll tell you what, I have not seen a couple so in love with a child. Now, every parent loves their child, okay? But this is a miracle child. He will be a joy and a delight to you. So now Zechariah says to the angel, how can I be sure of this? this? This sounds too good to be true. And Mary asks the same question later on, how can I believe this? Zechariah says, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years, as if the angel didn't know that. Just imagine, you're in the Holy of Holies, you see an angel, the angel tells you everything you just read, and then you say, how can I be sure of this? I need a sign. And Gabriel probably thinks, dude, I am the sign. I'm an angel. You know, what do you want? But Gabriel says, okay, you want a sign? I'm going to make you not able to speak until the day this happens. So for nine months, Zechariah cannot speak. The mute button has been pushed. Now, in the meantime, while all this is going on in the Holy Holies, the people are outside, and the priests are outside, and they know, they know how long it should take to do all this, and, and they're looking at their watches and thinking, Zechariah has been in there awfully long time, so they begin to wonder what's going on inside the temple. And then when Zechariah does come out and he can't speak, they realize, something's going on here. He's seen a vision. And imagine the buzz that starts going around. For 400 years, priests have been going into the Holy of Holies, waving the incense and praying the prayers for the redemption of Israel and the coming of the Messiah week after week and month after month, year after year, decade, century after century, nothing. And now an old priest near the end of his career comes out. It's been too long in there. He can't speak. There's been some kind of divine interaction in the Holy of Holies. Could it be? Could it be? God has broken the silence. Fast forward nine months. When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to her son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy and they shared her joy. The neighbors assumed that they were going to name the baby after Zechariah, which was expected, especially the firstborn. But Elizabeth said, no, he's to be called John, which is Zechariah had found out in the uh, from the angel. Now, the name John means the Lord is gracious. The name Jesus means the Lord saves. John is gracious, Jesus saves. Even in their names, Jesus is superior. The neighbors don't believe Elizabeth. <laughs> There's nobody in your family with that name. They fought with her and said, You can't name him that. And they made signs to Zechariah to find out what he would name the child, and he asked for a tablet, and he writes on that. His name is John, and then the next verse says, Immediately his mouth was open and his tongue set free and began to speak, just like the angel said. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'd seen a vision and experienced these promises and then been struck mute, and my infertile wife becomes pregnant, I think as soon as I opened my mouth, the first thing would be, Wow, or hallelujah, or praise Jesus. And that's exactly pretty much what Zechariah says. Immediately his mouth was open, his tongue set free, and he began to speak, praising God. Hallelujah. 400 years is broken. The Messianic age is being ushered in. So he sings. He praises God. That's what you do when you have joy. You sing. In the book of Luke, there are more references to praising God than there are in the rest of the New Testament combined. From the very first chapter, Luke is saying, we sing and we rejoice because God's activity is in the world. Good news of great joy. Zechariah's song has often been called Benedictus from the first word of this song in Latin, which is the word for praise, Benedictus. 
So I would just want to finish up looking at his song very quickly, which has several reasons for singing, starting in Luke 1, verse 68, if you follow along, verse 68. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He's raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through his holy prophets of long ago. Why sing? Salvation has come. God has come to his people and redeemed them. He's raised up a horn of salvation. Horn is a word for strength, like a horn of an ox. The horn of salvation will not be broken, and that horn is Jesus from the house of David, the greatest in Israel's his, the greatest king in Israel's history. Verse seventy-one: Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. Why sing? The enemy will be defeated. Zechariah is probably thinking like a Jew here. He's thinking of deliverance from the Romans. The Romans hated the Jews. Jews returned the favor. But when John starts preaching 30 years later, he doesn't preach rebellion against Rome. He preaches repentance. Because the real enemy is sin. And what they really need is repentance and forgiveness. And that's where the revolution has to begin. Before there can be peace on earth and freedom from bondage, there has to be peace with God. Sin has to be repented of and removed. Verse 72. To show mercy to our ancestors and to remember His holy covenant, the oath He swore to our father Abraham. Why saying... God keeps his promise. God keeps his covenant even after centuries of waiting. Zechariah mentions Abraham, David, and the prophets. It's been a thousand years since David. It's been 2,000 years since Abraham. It's been 400 years of nothing. It seems like God is silent, not doing anything. But even if it takes centuries, God will fulfill his oath and his covenant. Verse 74, to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear and holiness and righteousness before him all our days. Why sing? The way to God has been made possible. We now can serve him without fear, fully be God's people. And that really is our goal as humans, to serve God with all our being, to go back to what it was like in the Garden of Eden. Remember what it was like back then. That's what we yearn for. And Jesus' coming will allow us to serve him fully. And then Zechariah turns to his son John. So far, the whole song's been about Jesus. Here's John's role. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High. For you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. John's role is to prepare for that salvation for Jesus. He's not the Messiah. He's the forerunner. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel. Last week, we had an older man come into the office, and he often comes in because he does so much volunteering around here, known as Wally. You know Wally Couts, most of you. And Wally's been battling cancer for several years, and uh, about a month, six weeks ago, he got some really bad news, and he was pretty down. And then, about 10 days ago, he came in with a completely different demeanor, and he raised his hand. I've never seen Wally like this. I mean, it was amazing. And he said, good news. The treatments are working and the counts are down significantly. And Wally started dancing in church. I mean, I saw it. And then he came in the next day and he did it again. And he started dancing. And just about every day he'd come in. And then last Sunday morning, he danced right in church. First service. I mean, it was amazing. And I saw the joy. Do you remember the twist? Uh, The hustle? The Charleston? Anyone I think we could start something called the Wally. <laughs> we get good news, we'll do the Wally, okay? You know, what I think has happened is the Christmas story has become so familiar, we lose the joy. 
we have found the cure. The cancer is going to be gone. And I think we need to go back and realize after 400 years of nothing, finally God is on the move. And I don't, we probably can't grasp it, but we can surely be filled with the joy. Now, I'm going to show you a clip from a movie. It's not a Christian movie. That's probably why it's good. Anyway, there's a group of teenagers, and they want to be in a band. And they want to sing their song. And the guy who's the head of the band, you'll see him right at the beginning, his father runs an appliance store. And his father thinks it's nonsense to be in a band. And he wants his son to take more seriously this work in, in the appliance store. But these kids, they have a song they want to sing. And, and, and in this particular clip, at one point, they're all in different parts of the town, and they hear their song for the first time on the radio. Now, if you're under 30, Google radio, and it'll explain what that is. <laughs> But the unadulterated joy we will see in this clip, I'm hoping will evoke in us what might be missing sometimes in our being so familiar with the good news of Jesus that we forget how earth-changing this news is. You know, one of my favorite parts of the Christmas story is when Elizabeth meets Mary. And both are pregnant, and the baby in Elizabeth leaps for joy, it says. So while this group of teenagers is rejoicing, I want you to imagine an 80-year-old pregnant woman, an old priest, and the baby within this this 80-year-old woman having the same response of joy to some really, really good news.
that, ladies and gentlemen, is joy. <laughs>